Welcome to the Vancouver True Crime Podcast. Today's episode is called Who Killed Craig Abrahams? This case is very personal to me because Craig was a friend. His manner of death was extremely brutal and the events that led up to his death were very strange. It's one of the strangest cases that I've ever had any kind of inside information on and knew the victim. So um, his case is currently being profiled on Vancouver PD's cold case website called vpdcoldcases.ca. I'm going to read their overview of the case to give everyone kind of a starting reference point of the details of the case. And then I'm going to break down what I know and speculate what I believe possibly could have happened. Craig Abraham, case overview. This is from the vpdcoldcases.ca. Craig Abrahams was born and raised in Mississauga, Ontario. His outgoing personality would lead him to study hotel management at Humber College. He took his first co-op job in Banff. Before long, he moved on to the Four Seasons Hotel in Vancouver. It was during this time, working as a doorman at the Odyssey Club in 1995, that 28-year-old Craig Abrahams decided to enter into the cocaine trafficking business in an effort to quickly build up his customer base and establish himself. Craig began selling cocaine below the current market price. On October 4th, after almost seven months at working at the Odyssey, Craig wrote a two-page resignation letter to the management in which he accused an unnamed fellow staff member of spreading rumors about him. There was other rumors circulating that Craig's decision to sell cocaine at a lower price had upset at least one other dealer who allegedly threatened him. It was believed that Craig began selling drugs from his apartment in the 1200 block of Pendrel Street after leaving the Odyssey. Craig was last seen in the early mornings of December 18, 1995. A neighbor stopped by a few days later to pick up the cat that Craig has been pet-sitting and discovered his body. It was December 21st, just a few months after Craig began selling cocaine. Craig was very close to his family and kept in weekly touch with them. He was making plans to return to Toronto prior to his death. His family was holding on to hope that someone will come forward with the information needed to solve Craig's murder. The only thing worse than having a loved one murdered is knowing that the killer has not been brought to justice. I met Craig at a gym in downtown Vancouver that I used to work out at called Neighborhood Gym. 
it, I, it was a, a interesting place because it was a gym that was open 24 hours. It was on the corner of Drake and Granville Street. If anyone knows Granville Street, that's a very colorful area, especially back in the day. It was right across from the Cecil nightclub, which was a strip bar. So we'd get a lot of strippers in the in the uh, neighborhood gym. There was a lot also, uh, a lot of, you know, very interesting people. You had a lot of doorman bouncers that worked out there. You had um, people that were kind of more in the gangster life, male strippers, female strippers, uh, a, lo- a large uh, population of the gay community worked out there. It was a very uh, uh, popular and colorful place. And I loved it because it was great people watching. And even in that environment, Craig stood out to me. Craig looked like a younger version of George Hamilton. He's an old movie star who's always tanned and they had very similar facial features. But Craig took a lot. Craig was very avid into working out. He uh, was into bodybuilding and he did use steroids. And, And when I met him, he made little side money. I wouldn't say he was a big time steroid dealer, but he would make side money selling steroids to a lot of the bodybuilders and bouncers and people that were, um, who worked out at neighborhoods gym. Uh, Craig told me he was from Toronto, Ontario, and he told me he had a pass where he did go to jail. I believe it had to do with cocaine. He mentioned to me, too, that he had past drug addiction issues with cocaine. And he said that he used so much cocaine in the past that he had liver issues. And sometimes I wondered, was that the reason that he tanned a lot? Because sometimes people with liver issues have yellowish skin. I didn't really understand the or knew the level of liver damage that he had, but he said it was pretty severe. He said it was so severe in Toronto, he owned a Corvette and in his height of his addiction, he sold his Corvette for 30 grand and he spent all that money on cocaine in less than one month. So he had addiction issues. He said he was also in prison uh, in back in Ontario and he's always talk about all these mob connections, these wise guys. And I, I didn't know if that was true or not. But anyways, that's what he told me. But he, I, as I said, I liked the guy. He had good stories. He was very charismatic. He, he was the kind of person that when you're around, he always made you laugh. And he kind of lifted your spirit up. If you're having a crappy day, he was always fun to hang out with. But he had a lot of corks. So I met him at the time when he was still working at the Four Seasons Hotel. And he seemed to have some serious food issues. So that, that always made me wonder if, um, was the reason why he quit working at the, because he abruptly quit. He had a really good paying job at the Four Seasons Hotel. And then one day he's abruptly quit. He never gave the details of why he quit the job, but he did, he quit really with almost like no notice there. And, um, when I would ask him out for lunch, hey, you want to grab some sushi or whatever, or any kind of protein shake, it doesn't matter what it was. He would never go out to eat at restaurants, which made me wonder, 
from a guy that worked at a five-star hotel, if he doesn't want to eat, even in those types of kitchens, made me kind of second guess of me eating out. But he, had, he seemed to have some kind of strange food phobia. He would never eat out. And, um, but other than that, he was a very health conscious person when I knew him. He was really into working out. He did use steroids, which I thought was uh, strange if he had a lot of liver issues, especially from doing so much cocaine. He never used cocaine in front of me. He never drank in front of me. And he was always very sober. Even if we would go out to a nightclub or something, he drank coffee or water. He didn't drink alcohol ever in front of me. So I, I always thought that he was a person who had a past, had a few quirks, but was kind of changing his life. That was the reason why he came out to Vancouver to get away from, I guess, his past. Uh, he, got a, he, was, he got a degree in hotel management and he worked in a hotel, but then abruptly quit for reasons that are unknown to me. Um, I got him work too, as I was working at the time for, a, I was working as a bouncer and I was also at the time working for a, a, a very big contractor in Vancouver who had a lot of big jobs and he had one particular job. He needed a lot of people and uh, I got Craig work and we worked together for almost an entire summer. And he was a very hardworking guy. He showed up for work every day. He worked very hard and he was never late, never complained on the job, even though the job was, was a pretty hard job. It was, uh, we were building a huge uh, subdivision and we were doing like framing and, and, and uh, you know, pretty heavy, uh, intensive labor. Never once ever complained, always was in a good mood. And he was actually a, a, a great guy to work with. Then when that job finished, uh, I went back to doing more bouncing. And um, and one day when I saw him at Neighborhood Gym, he told me that he got a job at the Odyssey, which was a gay nightclub. And, and Craig, I always assumed he was straight, but... Sometimes I would wonder if maybe he was closeted gay because I never, in the time I've known him, he never talked about going on a date with a woman. I've never seen him with a woman. I've never seen him date a woman. And um, always made me wonder, well, you know, maybe he was closeted. He was a bit older than me at the time. I was 20, I think I was 23 when I met him and he was in his late 20s when he died he was 28 so he was probably about 27 when I met him or no, was probably about 26 when I met him and I was probably like 23 and, and and I always found that strange he never seemed to be you know interested in women but he was kind of had cork so you never know right but he never expressed any interest of of being gay either even though at the time in downtown Vancouver in 1995 it was probably more of a gay robust neighborhood than it is now there was more gay nightclubs and there was probably in my opinion a larger gay population in Vancouver so it wouldn't have been a big deal if he was or wasn't like no one would have cared but so when he said he got a job at the Odyssey you know I didn't really think anything of it and um, but then he dropped a bombshell on me he told me the reason, like he told me straight up, the reason why he got a job at the Odyssey specifically was to deal cocaine. And that shocked me because here's a guy that can get jobs at five-star hotels that pay very well. 
he, you know, he was a hardworking guy. He, we, we made quite a lot of money doing this construction work. He could have continued on with that. And, um, so the decision really shocked me and it, and it shocked other people that knew him too, including his roommate. That was a very close friend of mine as well. And he moved out of the roommate, my friend and roommate's apartment, got his own apartment and got, started working at the Odyssey and and started dealing cocaine, which really shocked me. And one of the things about the Odyssey, even though it was a gay nightclub, it was an open secret that there was a lot of cocaine in that nightclub. So straight or gay, if you needed cocaine for your party night or, or needed to get more and, that, and the Odyssey was open, it was a place to go. Like it was an open secret that you walk in, they always had dealers that were in the back that you, that, you know, it, you, it, you, you could basically walk in and out of there in, 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 a, in a minute or two and get the cocaine. You know, there was, it was, a, it was well known for being a spot in downtown Vancouver that you could get cocaine. And so that surprised me too. I was thinking like, how is he just going to go in there and just start dealing? Like it just, the whole thing, the whole plan just seemed odd to me. And he was still selling steroids, but you know, on a small scale. And and this is what I, I this is what I found out too. He was getting steroids from a group of people that that lived in Chilliwack. And I have no idea how he met these people from Chilliwack. That is a mystery to me. But these apparently these people in Chilliwack, and he did tell me they were neo-Nazis. They were actually real neo-Nazis that dealt cocaine, sold guns. And as he referred to it, they liked to play army. He said he could even buy hand grenades and guns. And and uh, and that's where he was getting cocaine from. And he told me that their cocaine was so pure that when he worked at the nightclub at the Odyssey, the, 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 the how he was getting customers is that he was promising not to step on it, not to cut it with anything. And he was going to sell it cheaper. And if memory serves me correct, around 1995, cocaine was going for about $100 a gram. He was selling it for 80 and he was promising it to be pure and, and not to be stepped on or cut with anything. So obviously he, was, he, was, he, was, he started to do well and get customers pretty fast. The, the, to be totally honest, the decision for him to start selling cocaine and being so cavalier about it did disturb me from the beginning. And I felt that Craig being from Toronto and not really knowing Vancouver right from the beginning of the decision, I truly believe that he truly underestimated the type of blowback and the seriousness of of organized criminals in Vancouver. Cause he, again, he would tell a lot of stories about, you know, mobsters that he knew in Toronto. And I never, I never found out it was true or not skipping ahead. When I did talk to a homicide detective after he was murdered, I did mention that he would talk about mobsters and wise guys. And they said they looked into it. They didn't see any connections of it. they, they didn't see him having any real true connections to wise guys or, or anything of that sort. But anyways, uh, I'll continue on with the story here. So 
he gets a job at the Odyssey nightclub, a gay nightclub that's very popular. It was a very popular nightclub. It's, I believe it's closed down. I, I think they might have reopened uh, to a different spot, but it didn't do well as well as the original location. But he, he got a job there and he started undercut dealers. I, I went to his apartment one time and um, as soon as I walked in, you know, he showed me this huge amount of money that he made. I think the money, I think there was like 20 grand in a big roll. And he was excited because Welfare Wednesday was coming up. And every drug dealer knows on Welfare Wednesday in BC, you pretty much guarantee to make double the amount of money that you normally make. So uh, he was excited because he was going to take his big cash flow and he was going to buy a ton of cocaine and he was going to make all this money on Welfare Wednesday. And and he showed me, uh, he did, you know, I remember he showed me this huge block of cocaine that he currently had. And it was, you know, it was an impressive block. It was a, probably the size of a, um, I would say about four inches square, like a big four inch square block. And it looked like a, you know, it looked like it was cut from a kilo, you know, it was like a, it was a, it was quite big. He had to use his whole hand to kind of show it to me. And I was, you know, I was quite shocked about, and <clears throat> So one of the things that I found, you know, disturbing again is that here I walk in, you know, we, yeah, we're close friends. I've known him well. We work together. We traveled to Mexico together. And this not even in two minutes of being in his apartment, he showed me the amount of money he has and he showed me his massive stash of cocaine. And I don't know the value of what that cocaine was worth, but it was a considerable amount of cocaine. And so this continued on. He worked at the Odyssey for about uh, seven months, I believed. And then one day I ran into him. And I, I, to be honest, when he was doing this, I actually stopped hanging out with him as much because I felt that he was diving in deep waters that he really was underestimating. And and quite frankly, too, you know, I, I, I left that kind of lifestyle of dealers and uh, you know, people that were involved in that kind of stuff. I didn't really want that in my life because especially at that time, I was really into bodybuilding and health and fitness and that sort of thing. And even though I was working at nightclubs and knew a lot of people, I didn't really want to be friends with, with, with large scale cocaine dealers because it's heat and, you know, it's guilt by association. And he was doing some stupid things as well. So uh, one of the last times I saw him, he, I was walking by his apartment. He lived on Pendrel Street. I believe he lived on 1155 Pendrel, I believe. And he was in front of his building and he walked up to me and goes, oh, I just dropped a dime on a guy. And I'm like, what? Now, from the neighborhood I grew up in, you know, ratting on dealers, ratting, being a rat is like the worst thing possible. And now he's telling me and he's probably telling other people that he snitched out some other dealer. I guess he was having some some issues with. And I think this other dealer also worked at the Odyssey. He just all I remember about him, he didn't give me the guy's name. I wouldn't say it anyways, but he didn't say the guy's name. He just referred to this guy as French Canadian. He said this guy had a very hot temper and he was very temperamental and you know, he's a French Canadian cocaine dealer. He's probably, you know, obviously he's gonna be a little, you know, high strung. And he told me flat out he dropped the dime on this guy. 
and I, and I was just like, oh boy, you know, God, it's like, you know, and I, I was, I, to be honest, I was actually hoping that he would get arrested rather than one of these dealers get his hands on because what I understood too, you know, this is of information that I found after his murder is that the people that were in charge you know, again, we're talking about a lot of money. Here's an Odyssey nightclub that's a very popular nightclub. It's extremely popular. If you went by on the Saturday, Sundays, you know, it was a packed place. And, and, and I'm sure it did well during the weekday as well. And and we're talking about millions of dollars of cocaine being sold, you know, each year. And here's a guy just walks in, starts undercutting and trying to get all that money for himself. And he was making a lot of money. He was very active. And and he started dealing out of his apartment, too. And he you know, I did. I stopped. As I said, I stopped hanging out with him, but I would call him often because I was truly worried about him. And I was secretly hoping he was going to get arrested. And, and cause I, I, my gut feeling, I knew something terrible was going to happen to him. So moving forward here, moving forward to around the close to the timeline of his demise, I, I called him one time. I was okay. He, he told me about dropping a dime. So now I'm really worried about him. So I'm calling him. I, I used to call him at least once a week. So one day on the phone, he calls me and he says, Oh, I just bought a 45 caliber handgun from the Nazi guys. So I'm like, holy cow, really? And, and, and you know, and the, the whole him being involved with Nazis always disturbed me too, because, you know, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a person of color, you know, I'm half, uh, Icelandic, but I'm on my dad's side is native black and other stuff. So I'm, I have a lot of melatonin in my skin and he's never, ever expressed any type of, like, racist ideologies. And, you know, even at the gym, there was a lot of uh, black guys and people of every color. And he was always friendly with anyone. And I never, ever heard him make a racist remark about any people. So him being involved with neo-Nazis was always kind of very disturbing. So I try to think, well, maybe it's just for business. But still, it's it's kind of disturbing, right? So... He said he bought a handgun, a forty-five caliber uh, handgun uh, from these Nazis. So I'm thinking, wow, he must be getting serious or he's getting scared. Maybe he's getting threats. I says, are you being threatened? Because, you know, again, big mouth, telling everyone his business, telling everyone he's dropping dimes, you know, writing letters to the nightclub that he was selling cocaine in. Like he's making a lot of noise. But then he drops another bombshell, which I think is like, oh, my God, like, are, are, are you retarded? Or are you really starting to use cocaine? Because I think towards his death, I, I truly speculate that he was using cocaine because earlier I asked him if he was and he said he wasn't because he had liver issues. But I think he was at the end because then he told me that he doesn't have the handgun anymore. He's, he mailed it to his father. And I'm just like, what? Okay, that sounds kind of dumb. But then he told me that he was planning to move back to Toronto and he's been mailing his assets. He's been buying a lot of stuff with all his cocaine money and he was mailing and stuff. And I'm thinking if you're a dealer and you're selling cocaine and you're ratting people out and you're, you got to be smart enough to know that you're burning bridges and you're pissing people off. But I, 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 but I think in his delusion, he didn't think anyone was going to happen to him because maybe he did think that he was some kind of wise guy or something, you know, because he, he did, like, as I said, 
he did talk a lot about all these mafia connections he had, which again, none of them have ever been substantiated. And when I talked to the police, they said, no, we didn't find any of that. Right. So moving forward here, he drops a dime. Um, you know, he's doing stupid things. He's buying guns and mailing it to his dad. And then he told me that he painted his entire apartment because his apartment was white and it was a one bedroom apartment in the West End on uh, Pendrill Street in a very white, very bright. And he painted the whole apartment, apparently flat black. And the police said even the light fixtures, because as I said, I stopped going there because I didn't really want to, you know, be seen or hang out with him because I knew something dangerous was going to happen. And it did. So and then he told me he bought a boa constrictor. So he had he now he lives in a flat black apartment, and and uh, and he has boa constrictors. And then he told me he was hanging a lot around this uh, transgender woman who was his neighbor. Which the other thing he he would talk about a lot. He would talk about his neighbor who was a transgender. A woman that he seemed to spend a lot of time with. I got the sense there was kind of like a relationship going there, maybe. And and the reason why I believe this is because even though I never met this woman, he told me he started dating this woman. This is the first time in in about two years that he ever mentioned, you know, actually dating or actually having some kind of sexual experience with a woman. Like again, he never talked about that. So he told me he met a woman named Lana, who, who apparently he said had Russian organized crime tat- ties. Like I don't, I don't, I don't think she was in the Russian mafia, but apparently her family or whatever, you know, had these connections. According to, according to um, Craig, and he started also seeing this transgender woman that was his neighbor and apparently when this Lana got a wind of this she was so upset and so enraged that she threatened him at knife point and and Craig actually told me that he was afraid of her he was afraid of this woman and here's a guy who's dropping dimes on hardcore drug dealers and you know this going into the odyssey with big elbows and a loud mouth and undercutting all the dealers there and 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 this is the first time he actually have ever expressed fear like he was actually said he was afraid of this woman and i asked her like i asked him sorry how did he even meet meet this lana well there is another nightclub that's called celebrities that's it's a gay nightclub a lot of straight people every people there but it's primarily a gay night he said he was going to celebrities and he met lana and they had actual sex in the nightclub in some you know secluded place and he was so in, he so enthralled by her and stuff and and then when she found out about the transven uh, transgender woman apparently it made her just go completely psychotic and he said he was afraid of her so then there's that then you know there's that whole um you know the neo-nazis man i'm pretty sure that if they found out that he was going to gay nightclubs and dating a transven a transgender uh, woman, they would not like that. And um, and then there's the dealers that he ratted out on, and then there's the probably the organized crime ties, who was ever supplying and you know the toes he was stepping on, 
at the Odyssey because I know for a fact talking to people, he pissed a lot of people off at the Odyssey. And, you know, again, we're talking a lot of money. So leading up to his death, right, I, I didn't talk to him for a while, but, but the strange thing happened is I had a clock radio that I would set as alarm clock. So instead as an alarm, a radio would go off. And I used to listen to a lot of talk radio, you know, in the background when I did work or whatever I did around the house, I'd have the talk radio playing. The alarm went off, I'm laying in bed. It was December 21st and they said a man's body, a victim of homicide was discovered in the West End on 1155 Pendrel Street, the apartment where he lived. And I knew instantly it was Craig because it was just like no one was doing the crazy things in that apartment building to that level, attracting that much attention and creating that many enemies than this guy. So I try to call him a bunch of times, no answer, no answer, straight to voicemail, straight to voicemail. And I had the sick feeling in my stomach. And then a couple days later, I get a call from a homicide detective from Vancouver police. And I, and I told him everything. I went and met them. I told them, yes, I knew he was selling cocaine at the, at the Odyssey. He had a crazy Russian girlfriend that he was afraid of who threatened him at knife point, apparently. Uh, he was dumb. He told everybody that would listen to him about how much money he was making. He showed me even where he even hid his money in his apartment. You know, he showed me his cocaine stash. He showed me, he was, he was telling me all kinds of stories. Right. And I said to him, he had a huge mouth. And then I told him about the handgun. I said, he also told me he bought a handgun from these Nazis. I told him about the Nazis and, and the cops saying, yeah, yeah, we know about the gun. So therefore, I established that these Nazis are real. Because part of my head, I'm wondering, I was like, did he make these Nazis up? Like, it was, was it like kind of a new story that he was always talk about these mobster guys? So I was never sure if these guys even existed, that it was something he made up. But then the cops said, yes. And then the cops said something really disturbing. They, they asked a lot about his sexuality. They asked, so one thing they asked a lot about, they did ask a lot about his sexuality. Uh, they, they, I found out through other sources too, the way he was tortured, he was, he was tied, he was bound and he was sexually, basically he was sexually assaulted. And so, and I, and I said, well, I didn't really, he never discussed that with me and he was, he wasn't openly gay and he did date women like the Lana who threatened him with the knife point. I didn't mention, uh, her to the police and and the other thing was kind of disturbing. They did ask a lot about his his uh, Nazi ideology, his beliefs. And I said, well, that's kind of shocking because I know him. We were pretty close friends. And, you know, we had other friends of color that were black and, you know, of other, you know, racial. And he's, as I said, he never, ever made any kind of racial remarks or anything like that. But they said he had a lot of Nazi it like mem I don't know what, what the word they use, but it's not, not memorabilia, but literature. Yes, they said he had a lot of Nazi neo-Nazi literature, like quite a lot of it, and and that kind of shocked me. And 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 uh, so these Nazis were real, right? So you know, again, strange case. You know, a a, a weird love triangle with a transgender woman and a Russian mobster neo-nazis you know whole slew of drug dealers pissed off that he was undercutting them and again too they said the matter they, they the cops did not give me details about how he died 
but they did kind of say between his lines, they said, yeah, it was pretty brutal. And, and they kept mentioning the sexual element. So it was, it was very clear that he died in a, uh, there was a very sexual component of how he died. Uh, I, 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 when I talk to people, uh, you know, through the grapevine who also knew about this case and also knew him and, and, and one of the strange things too, that a friend of mine, uh, Kevin, uh, told me, and it was Kevin, I mentioned on this pod, on this podcast, every time I make a podcast, he knew a lot of people in kind of more of the underworld than I did at the time. And he told me that he heard that he was tied up and basically he was, he was violently sexually assaulted with, even with objects and stuff. So he died in a very terrible way. Like it just, I couldn't imagine like, you know, how he went out and then he wasn't found for, they believed that he wasn't found for about three days. And that's what my understanding was. So after he died again, you know, it wasn't a surprise, but it was obviously awful about how he died and there's never really been any, um, you know, um, the, the, the information that's on the website is no real different than what the cops released back in 1995. I followed up with the police a few times just to say, hey, have you guys just got a period of curiosity? Was a friend? Has there been any developments? They said they were looking for that Russian a uh, woman, Lana, they never did find her as far as my understanding. And I think this is like, the, I think what makes this case difficult, there, there were so many people that could have done it. And, and just one of these things that hopefully there will be some, you know, closure for the sake of the family. And just, you know, again, even though he was doing things stupidly, you know, I, I, it's just awful about how he died. And, you know, he was young, dumb, and, you know, don't know what really what he was thinking. And, and, and the other thing too, that one of the first things that popped in my head when I heard that bulletin on the new, on the radio about a man dying and at the apartment, like I said, I knew right it was him. And I, and the first thing I thought is that here's a guy that buys a gun to protect himself and then he mails it. I, I'm sure he wished he had that gun <sighs> when those people, whomever, came into his apartment. Because, again, he was a, you know, I, I think he didn't work out as much. I don't think he was working out as much uh, towards the end. But he was a guy who was pretty physically capable of defending himself. So he must have put up a fight. I have a sense. This is what my theory is. This is from all the years of speculating and putting the pieces together. I'm not sure who murdered him. Because it could have been anyone. It could have been the crazy Russian girlfriend that was just pissed off that she found out that he was also seeing a transgender a gender woman. And, and maybe that, you know, maybe she got some thugs to say, oh, you, you know, basically you're a gay. We're going to kill you. You know what I mean? Like, like there's, there's, that, there's some very like, you know, again, it could have been the neo-Nazis that, you know what I, I, you know, just the thing that pops in my head is that however he got this connection, maybe he was just like, he kind of had to pretend he was more of a racist to get the, guess the good price on cocaine and the, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Right. But maybe when they found out that maybe he really wasn't, uh, had their, his, their belief systems and he was going to, you know, he had a lot of gay friends and, you know, maybe they found out about the, the transgender, you know, woman, 
you know, who knows, right? I mean, who knows that could, have, or the dealers that he ratted out on, or the people at Odyssey. There, there, it's a real whodunit. It really is, and sad. And you know, I, I hope it will get solved. I, I truly don't think it will because so much time has passed. And but I do appreciate you listening. And God, you know, as again, this one is one that always has haunted me. And you know, Craig Abraham, rest in peace. Sorry what happened to you, brother, but God, you know, I hope you're in a better place. And I'm going to close it out on here. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.